0: Hi. this is and the oscar doesn't go to i'm sam Meltzer, and on this podcast a guest and myself will be discussing the films that received best picture nominations yet not only failed to win that award but didn't take home any trophies on oscar night today i will be joined by returning guest the queen the legend zita short welcome back
1: Oh, thank you so much for that over-the-top introduction, I would say. I don't think I can live up to it. No, I think so... it was
0: i think it was understated, actually.
1: <laughs> but I'm very excited to be back on and to talk about a movie that doesn't often get discussed, even no, in awards. No, <laughs> not at all.
0: Yeah, today we'll be discussing Norman Jewison's The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, which was released in 1966 and got four nominations. Do you want to explain why we agreed to talk about this film? So I?
1: I could do it on our past episode. We talked about a movie that we both love. I think we both gushed about it. We generally agreed on all of the different aspects of the film. We all thought they were great, and then we decided, hmm, maybe we should talk about a film where there are more disagreements between the two of us, where there, there will be more of a discourse on the episode instead of it just being an hour and a half of us going, oh, Lee Vollman is so fantastic. So <laughs> I mean, that going...
0: that works, though. It's true. It
1: does work. But we were going through the list of different nominees and talking about the ones that we had both seen. And in most cases, we found that we either agreed or there just wasn't enough tension in terms of our opinions on certain films. And this was one of the only ones where it felt like we really clashed and were in opposition over whether the film was good or not. Mm. So we thought, hmm, let's have a discussion about this weird comedy about cold war tensions let's really dig into this film that on its surface does not look like a best picture nominee and I'm really excited to get into the discussion
0: me too I watched this movie without the first time I watched this movie I didn't know that it was a best picture nominee I didn't watch it because of the Oscars which is what most of these obscure 60s movies uh that get nominated I would uh so I was talking with someone and we wanted to watch a 60s comedy that would be really fun and I was just looking through lists and I and we eventually found this and I said okay that looks like one of those sort of dumb fun movies that no one really remembers but it'll it'll be really slapsticky and entertaining And then after the movie, of course, I had to look up the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming Oscars on Google to see if it got nominated for anything. And it did. And I was really surprised. So that is how I found out about this movie's uh, play in the Oscar race. Also something I want to add before I don't forget that this is another year, the second year in which a film that we're talking about is one of three films, three out of the five nominees that didn't win anything, uh, Last year, uh, last time when we talked about The Emigrants, there's also Deliverance and Sounder, which won nothing. And this year, we also have The Sand Pebbles and Alfie, which won nothing. So years that you had really won film sweeping um, with with this year, uh, but only two out of the five actually won awards. So I thought that was an that was interesting point. Yes, and
1: 1966, such an odd year in terms a of bad films year. that they nominated, terrible year really, but for most people the two nominees that won things, A Man for All Seasons and Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, are really the only two films that they look at as films that deserved to be nominated mm-hmm. and then you have films that were outside of the best picture category like Blow Up and A Man and a Woman. Which did end up winning other awards, where it seems really confusing that they couldn't make it into the top five if one of them apparently featured the best original screenplay of the year. And it's the front runner for like,
0: actress, apparently.
1: Yes, something went wrong yeah yeah it it doesn't make sense in terms of the way that the nominations were handed out and at the end of the day you can sort of see why something as boring I think it's a boring film as a man for all seasons ended yep. up taking
0: all so them. boring <laughs> uh yes. I, th- I think the, the, just I'll make more comments on this when we get to the Oscars my last comment about this is that I think the only reason why the Russians are coming, which was presumably the fifth slot, uh, the reason why I think this movie managed to get in is because, one, it did extremely well at the box office, whereas A Man and a Woman, it did well. People, people really liked it. Uh, but something tells me that Academy members were voting for what they had fun with, for that fifth or fourth slot on their ballots instead of a movie that they thought would live on. Even though I don't think A Man and a Woman is amazing or anything, it's certainly a better overall movie that that, has, that does more interesting things than The Russians Are Coming.
1: Yes, and I also think that at this time, and this was even more obvious in 1967, but you had a lot of these older Academy voters who had been stalwarts in Hollywood, who were very concerned about the fact that all of these highly sexual European and American films were flooding into cinemas and challenging good old fashioned Hollywood entertainment. And a man and a woman is not sexually explicit, but I definitely think at the time you would have had these awards voters in their 70s going oh i don't like that movie where two french people get all smoochy smoochy (laughs) i want to vote for this ellen arkin comedy that affirms the fact that america is doing the right thing by and that everybody can be
0: friends
1: yes presumably
0: yeah also Virginia Woolf and A Man for All Seasons were the only two best picture nominees that got into director as well so there you go blatant right there yeah but yeah no just getting into the film this movie is about uh, a group of soldiers who are part of the Soviet Navy who are traveling via submarine and they're on the coast of New England and they end up crashing on a sandbar on an island right off the coast of New England. I don't, I still don't know how to pronounce it. They all seem to pronounce it differently. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a small sort of vacation-esque island with about two, three hundred people living there. And the captain sends nine men uh, led by Alan Arkin, Lieutenant Yuri Rosanov, to try and help free the submarine, take it out of the bar. They arrive at, I guess, the house closest to them, uh, the Whitaker family, played by Carl Reiner. Um, he's Walt Whitaker. He's vacationing there with his family. He has a nine-year-old child, uh, three-year-old child, and a wife, played by Eva Marie Saint. Nice nice to see her in things. I don't see her that often. Uh, and they, they get to the house, and the kid is... is being an obnoxious fuck, by the way, he's telling his dad that there are. Whoa, <laughs> you you thought he wasn't annoying?
1: Oh, he's very annoying. I did not expect you to come out with the <laughs> f bombs. <but okay. laughs>
0: and the kid is telling his dad that there are Russians outside the door. He's uh, takes him well. He suit. He's met at the door by Rosenoff and. They identify themselves as strangers initially and then they eventually come out as Russians and then Walt tells them about what the island is and Rosenup decides, you know, I'm I'm not going to do anything to you guys if you give me your car. They give him the keys and then this weird fight (laughs) sort of happens uh, in which they I think the wife doesn't want I don't know if it was the wife it might have been him they don't want them the russians to flee and also the babysitter is there too for the child and then the the russians take off uh on their car ready to <laughs> torture the the residents on the island so so what do you think of this setup
1: it's a very convoluted setup i felt for this comedy that ends up being pretty simple where most of the jokes are derived from culture clashes and then you also have this really obvious over the top slapstick humor being used and so I thought we get this incredibly intricate plotting at the beginning involving the mission that the Soviets are on and you think wow they're really putting in the time to establish all of these character conflicts I wonder what will develop out of this and the answer is not much because (laughs) I think especially in the second act you get some pretty simple conflict where There's the young, handsome Russian guy who has a romance with the babysitter. You have the bickering married couple. You have Ellen Arkin's character learning to appreciate the American way of life. I don't think there's a great deal of complexity in terms of the way that the film handles the conflict between American capitalism and Soviet (laughs) communism. And I'm not necessarily expecting that, but I just thought there would be a little bit more than what we got. I was
0: very concerned when we see about five minutes of just Russians arguing in their submarine about where they are. And there's no subtitles yeah. to tell us what they're saying. So we're just seeing them blab on at each other. And we learn that th- like, this doesn't add up to anything this could have been five seconds, genuinely five seconds. Uh, so that was unnecessary. But then I actually kind of like this di- this initial dynamic where you have this family who really doesn't have many interesting characteristics to them. They're not very no. unique or striking to watch. They're not even very realistic. They're just kind of a cartoon. Uh, but it is kind of interesting to see like, the stereotype this typical American family, and how they would react to such a situation uh, and I like the concept of the movie i think it I think it has the potential to be this genuinely great comedic presence where you have these cultural conflicts uh, but unfortunately, and I'll get into this later, the film's message of everyone should just get along everyone can get along in the end if they work together, something like that, it sort of detracts from it. I'm not saying that this film needs to be risky, but the way that the message is handled feels sort of boring. It doesn't really feel interesting.
1: I felt that way too, and I think this is one of the issues that a lot of American films faced in terms of poking fun at the Soviets and you think, okay, this satire, this critique of their ideology would work so much better if you displayed a willingness to poke fun at some aspects of American capitalism, whilst also endorsing it as the right ideology to follow. And I think it is an issue here that we are meant to accept the idea that this very boring white-bred American family is (laughs) the absolute ideal, the thing that everybody should aim to be in the best society in the world. And you think, okay, it could be a bit funny if the movie pointed out that the sort of middle-class lifestyle that was typically encouraged in the US in the 60s was incredibly dull and did produce these families full of people who seem vacant and lifeless and completely lacking in passions or interests. And you also think this is coming out at a time when the countercultural movement is at its height, and you have all of these movies that are breaking down barriers and daring to display content that had never been seen before. And this just seems so tame in comparison. And I'm not expecting a Jean Luc Godard movie here but I did think it was a bit annoying that this feels so square and feels so much like it was targeted towards stuffed shots I thought I want a bit of radicalism here I want a bit of criticism of people on both sides of the political conflict
0: it doesn't necessarily have a sense of self-awareness as you were talking about Uh, with regards to the family there's just such a great opportunity to have this massive critique where you make this family uh the the family the the writer doesn't know that the family is so boring to watch and you can tell that it's it's making first of all all these characters are shticks; they're kind of all caricatures I don't really think there's a single character in it who's a layered complex human being uh and I'm fine with that if it's, if it's going to be a very over the top comedy, but unfortunately this film is in that awkward phase between very basic and over the top where it's sort of in the middle of those two things and can't pinpoint something down. Therefore it's, it's left with me feeling a little conflicted. Um, and as you said, this is a point in America where so much is going on and maybe 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 this was the reason why I did so well at the box office uh, is because it was this thing to take everyone's minds off of it. And I assume people had fun with it. I had fun with it in certain areas. I thought parts of it were enjoyable, but for the most part, it fails to take any risks. It plays it safe in a way that isn't like a basic cartoony comedy. I just wish that it went with one side or the other in terms of very over-the-top and cartoony, or very playful and, and sweet.
1: Yes, and I would note one of the things that I often find interesting about American films that deal with the Soviets is that often you can sort of sense that the screenwriter and the director, while they have to cast a Soviet as the villain who is facing off against a heroic American or Brit or somebody from a democratic country, they often seem to be far more fascinated by the Soviet and sort of seduced by the mystery of the Soviet lifestyle or the the way of government that they have over there. And I think this one does play into that trend too, where I definitely think that ellen arkin is really cast as the star of the show as much as you are meant to like the boring american family (laughs) and so i think it's always this interesting contradiction where you're meant to go oh isn't it horrible these harsh soviets who want to eliminate anybody who won't follow their way of life oh but don't they look cool and aren't they sort of enigmatic and fascinating in a way that jack ryan isn't i know the whole the sean connery submarine movie the hunt for red october where Alec baldwin is meant to be the hero and then halfway through it just emerges that oh no the russians are the ones that you're meant to be following and you're meant to like them more because clearly the americans are dull and i think this movie has that issue too and as you pointed out the fact that everybody is a type does eventually become a problem I think we needed more of a sense that at least one character was a fully rounded well-developed human being and then it might work better if they are surrounded by these caricatures and their human characteristics really begin to stand out
0: yeah and I and I think that it's fine to have all these characters as caricatures or sticks if the whole movie is a very over the top thing, but it thinks it's more over the top than it is because it never really feels, I don't know if surreal is the right word, but it never really breaks a boundary in a way that leaves you shocked or laughing hysterically at least. Um, and I think that as you pointed out with the Alan Arkin character, he is very much filmed and written in a way in which you are supposed to be really shocked and enamored by this character. You're supposed to be stunned by his decisions and the way he talks and, and, and his humor is supposed to be deliciously dark. And I liked his performance. I actually, I actually was enjoying it. I think he does it convincingly enough, but I think, again, the film thinks that the way that this character is presented is more than it is uh yeah i I think that if in this if if the comedy is gonna follow the tone that it does you should make alan arkin a more layered character you should give him a backstory uh you should honestly give him more screen time i thought he was in it less Mm -hmm. than i remembered
1: Yes, and especially when considering the fact that he did get that best actor nomination. And yeah. I do have to give him props though, for being fluent in Russian in real life. I know he's not I think it was his first novel. language though. Huh?
0: Isn't it wasn't it his first language though?
1: Oh, was it really? Okay, but still it does seem like an appropriate casting because of that. Yeah. Sometimes you get situations where an actor has been cast as a foreigner and they'll have one scene where they're meant to be fluently speaking in their character's native language. And <laughs> you can tell, even as a person who does not speak that language, that they are deeply uncomfortable speaking it. And I don't think you get that sense in that in this film. And I think that's really good and he does seem to suit the role. I mm. wouldn't point to it as one of his best pieces of work no, I think no. Some of his next nomination
0: is work. way better
1: yes much better and I guess I just find it interesting though that he was not an established actor at this point in time and he got this nomination so early on mm. in his career and I guess was it just a result of the best actor race not being very competitive <laughs> that year because Steve McQueen getting nominated for the <laughs> Sand pedal.
0: Oh my god!
1: Really stands out.
0: Yeah, no, okay. I'm wrong about him having his first language being Russian, but I I think he grew up speaking Russian, so he was definitely well oh. cast. But I don't know. He he was the character that I was the most interested in. I think he's definitely like the funniest of them. I I didn't really laugh out loud. Many times I don't laugh out loud when I watch comedies alone for the most part, but not really with this one and I think that the issue in terms of like main characters is that Carl Reiner is not very good
1: uh no he's he he's not very
0: interesting to watch he he he's like even less than a typical character that you can make fun of he's he's just kind of there. he has so much screen time he has much more than Alan Arkin which is an issue
1: (laughs) and I would also say the 60s just generally I don't see them as a high point in terms of uh, American comedy I think you look back to the 30s and 40s and the era of the screwball comedy and you can see that as a golden age And even in the fifties, you have those dark Billy Wilder comedies, and you have a lot of young filmmakers coming up who have these new fresh ideas. And it does feel like Hollywood was sort of being left in the dust during the sixties, at least in terms of making this sort of traditional family oriented comedy. And it seems like this one fails to set up the right rhythm it seems really slow and lethargic like a lot of films from this period and I think if this was a nice crisp 90 minute comedy it would be mm. a lot yep. more fun than it is and if it felt more zany and madcap which I think is what it wants but when you have to go 20 minutes in between each bit of slapstick comedy it's just less fun than it mm. should be yeah
0: yeah uh, I have an issue with the length too. Uh, one more point, because I think what you said ties into the next segment of the film really well. I think the 60s were better uh, with dark comedies and like comedy dramas rather than straight comedies like these. I think it produced those better than anything. Uh, but back to the plot. So the next like 40 minutes of the movie I don't really know how to put it because it's just the news about... Okay, well, you do have the old lady, Miss Everett, who the Russians steal a a vehicle from. Um, And you have this whole plot where she calls the operator, for the the telephone operator, about about it. And then that's sort of how the rumors begin to start. Uh, And then it's just going around parts of the island while they, while people find out about the Russians being there, um, we don't, there, there's no sort of evidence about what their plan is to the citizens. They're just sort of finding out that they're there and they're scared. And the next, the the, the next 40 minutes of the movie are essentially that. And these two, two small storylines where it's the, I think it's the telephone operator and uh, Walt, who are tangled up together because the Russians tangled them up and it's, and it's that shtick. And then the romance between uh, one of the Russians and the babysitter. It's, it's those two and, and people learning about the Russians and, and coming up with a plan. And that's sort of what the next 45 minutes are. And I have to say that could have been half as long, that, that could have been 15, 20 minutes. And I think that that's what ties into our point about the fact that this doesn't need to be two hours and five minutes, it should be 90 to 100 minutes. So this next segment of the film was when it lost me the most, I'd say.
1: And I think it was a reminder for me of why it is important to have form and structure in screenplays and why things like MacGuffins tend to make so many appearances in this sort of film, it's because it really does feel like they're just biding their time during these Mm. scenes. And there's nothing at stake. And even if the thing at stake is some machine or some doohickey that doesn't really matter in the long run, there still needs to be a sense that what is happening is in service of some larger plot point. And when it just feels like we're just watching a bunch of Russians and Americans sitting around having conversations and getting up to antics, it's just difficult to be invested in it. And I think
0: that the movie doesn't know. Okay, maybe I get I get the argument that it's trying to show this clash of cultures. Maybe it's trying to let its film breathe and showcase something more realistic than what a standard comedy would but I don't think it's smart enough to be able to fully realize that and and develop a sense of interest within that. So you have this this very loose story when the setup itself is crammed in like 10 minutes. So it's a little uneven. And I get, again, like that's sort of how these sixties comedies would be. I'm not expecting this to be some groundbreaking sensation but it could have had a bit more attention to detail. Again, there are parts of it that interest me. I think that for the first few minutes of um, Walt and the phone lady being tied together, be a, I think that was funny for a moment. And I think that the romance is so cheesy that it's kind of entertaining to watch. It's so like dumb and cheesy that it's entertaining to watch. But overall, it was the part of the film that I was the least interested in.
1: I felt that way too. I think that it is an issue. That the movie really thinks that we love these crazy kids and we just want them to be together. But you have no idea who they are. They're just two nice, dumb people. And there's no (laughs) characterization. If they're trying to go for a romantic comedy angle, one of them needs to be a bit edgier than they are when they're both so soppy and immediately willing to fall into one another's arms. There's no conflict there. There's no character development for either of them to go through. It's just frustratingly inert the whole time. And there's no sense of forward progression or development. And you really need more of that for a film like this to work.
0: Or especially when,
1: (laughs) continue. All of the points that you're making, I totally agree with them. I just think filmmakers in the 60s didn't seem to know how to set one of these films up to be successful. And it is a real issue. And I think that's why a lot of people don't talk about these successful comedies from this period. How many people still watch The Great Race? Very few, I think. Whereas from the 30s and 40s, you do have these enduring classics that people keep going back to.
0: Yeah. Like screwball comedies, as you said. And and, and it's just, this is going to sound redundant and annoying, but a really good term, a really good phrase, is that this is sort of a product of its time. And maybe that's why it was nominated. It was it was such a product of its time that people in the moment thought it thought it was all that again, really, really, really big box office hit. So that can be an issue when you're looking back at, at it as a best picture nominee, because it's like, oh, I had so much fun watching that movie. It 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 had relevant themes. It made me laugh. I was entertained. It was a fun uh summer movie that I took my family to. We all enjoyed it. I saw it three times. I loved it so much. I'm going to put it in my best picture ballot. Enough people did this, and it ends up getting in, of course, not winning anything. And two people in 2022 are talking about it on a podcast, pointing out why no one talks about it anymore. And I think that is interesting, but also shows a lack of self-awareness within that time period.
1: I think so. It doesn't feel like they were looking ahead into the future in any way. And I also feel like with a lot of these big 60s extravaganzas, it really feels like you had to be there in the moment to appreciate them. And I think in a couple of decades' time, this is probably how a lot of people will feel about Marvel films. Mm. Where Without that incentive of, oh, I have to go to the new one to see the post credit scene to find out what happens in the next film. I think people watching them in a couple of decades' time are going to think, this is silly. Why were people so into this? And I think the whole event nature of so many of those big 60s productions does mean that a lot of them seem really creaky and saggy and overlong day and i've noticed with a lot of them they're good films to have on in the background i've been at family parties every now and then and we have put on some really long 60s epics and you just sort of tune in during the big moments during the big set pieces and you have fun And then when there's some really long scene where Charlton Heston is delivering this really dull speech, you (laughs) tune out and you have a conversation with somebody and that's the way to enjoy them. They don't really keep your eyes glued to the screen. And I don't even think you're meant to be fully invested in watching them. It's meant to be this experience where you take in the visuals and nothing else. And with the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. It's meant to be this hilarious gag fest, but I don't think they wrote enough jokes to fill the amount of time that they set for themselves.
0: Yeah, it's one of those movies that you'd expect. I mean, you told me your parents weren't cinephiles, but my dad watches, has like when he grew up, he would watch a lot of movies of this nature and hasn't really watched them since. And when I asked him what he thinks of them, he's like, oh, that's the, that that one's great. And then I watched it, I'm like, no, it isn't. It, it has an age well, but I get why he liked it because you know I'm sure he grew up with it. I'm sure in the time, in the 70s, it was really entertaining. When I asked him about this, he hadn't heard of it. So it really just goes to show um, that this was this was weird. This, this really was weird. And I, I agree with everything you said entirely, I have to say. Hit, hit, hit the nail on the head there.
1: But no, I do think it's fascinating that it did vanish into thin air. I think even it really, like, it, others- it
0: not even, like, certain people are like, <laughs> this is underrated. This is good. No one. It's just no one. <laughs>
1: So it's sort of baffling looking back, and I think the thing we've been talking about where surely, for a lot of viewers, this was comforting at a time when it really did seem like the whole world could just go to shit, America could be hit with a nuclear bomb, something terrible could happen at any moment, there were all of these conflicts breaking out all around the world, and this reassured people that, no, no, it's going to be okay, and a town full of good American people could totally take down this massive threat. And actually all of these really serious geopolitical issues can serve as fodder for a fun comedy. And I Mm. sort of get why it would have been comforting to those people. And I guess we'll get into it. A lot of the other films that were in contention this year Mm. did up to Uh, social conflicts that were occurring around this time so I assume they wanted a safe space amidst all of the mania happening.
0: Yeah this is gonna be a weird comparison but it sort of reminds me how in 1944 the war is going on and the academy doesn't want to feel sad so they vote for going um going my way. Am I really forgetting the title is that what it's called? Yeah, going my way.
1: Yes, it's they, going my way.
0: They <laughs> voted for that over movies like Double Indemnity and Glasslight because it's like this period where they don't they want to watch something more comforting, happy, um, and they don't vote for the movies that'll live on more. And that it's obviously not the same thing, but it gave me that type of vibe in terms of what the academy was thinking. Mm.
1: Yes, and I think even with that movie, I believe there was something where Bing Crosby had been the biggest celebrity fundraiser for the troops. So that probably helped its publicity mm. at the time. And I think with this movie, Norman Jewison, the director, had a reputation for being a very socially conscious filmmaker. And the following year, he makes In the Heat of the Night, which, which does win so maybe he was just incredibly popular with academy members. Maybe yeah. that helped. Yeah.
0: Do you want to just describe the rest of the movie? Because I actually kind of like the rest.
1: <laughs> it's. I I'm not sure. Could you do it instead? Just because yeah, yeah. I feel like my grasp on aspects of the plot is very limited. Again, weirdly convoluted. For no, who we I agree. Simple.
0: yeah so basically what happens is after all this conflict these these several storylines uh eventually uh Rozanov and the Whitakers are back at their place and walt sort of tries to to kill Rosanov while he's while he's getting in the car and he doesn't and then <laughs> I'll just, we'll just talk about this moment real quick where he shoots him about, what, 10, seven times? He shoots the car window. Uh, <laughs> Rozanov doesn't get hit. And then he's like, you almost killed me. And he's like, sorry, did you mean to kill me? <laughs> yeah. This was the funniest part. I have to say this part made me laugh. What, what do you think of this scene? And then they sort of just become friends, like two seconds later, like <laughs> nothing happened. Yeah.
1: And again, I feel like if this were a sharper comedy, I think that could have almost been used as post-war commentary, because you did have that whole period in the United States during World War II, where the government was really... Serious about promoting the idea that the Soviets were allies of the United States and that communism wasn't all that bad. And actually people should just embrace their Russian allies. And then during the Red Scare period, they turned around and went, oh no, no, it's awful. We absolutely shouldn't embrace any part of their ideology and all Russians are all Soviets are these evil vermin who should be kept out of the United States at all costs. And so I guess this scene where you just have these wild reactions (laughs) to these very serious decisions, that could have been used as a commentary on the weird relationship that they had, where one moment they are best buddies, these allies who are helping each other out, fighting against a common enemy, and the next moment they are essentially at war not a war where there were people on battlefields dying but there were a lot of threats flying around and so i think it could have been this really sharp moment and i was reminded of Nanotchka, which deals mm. with similar themes where you have this conflict between a very uptight russian woman and this carefree well, he's meant to be French, but he's played by Milton Douglas with an American accent. And so you have this (laughs) conflict between their ways of life. And that movie includes a lot of really sly references to the Soviet five-year plans or the mass execution of dissidents. And this movie does not go anywhere that dark. But I do agree with you that that is one of those moments where the sort of, weird, manic energy that it wants to capture really does bubble to the surface. I actually think it does a
0: pretty okay job at showcasing the reality within the conflicts and how it switches perspectives so quickly. So this was a slapsticky, over-the-top moment that if the entire movie was like this, I would have loved it. Um, so getting a taste of that for the, for a few few minutes was really nice. And I also think that Alan Arkin's timing was really good. I think that the character of Walt and his sort of bland attitude and, and boring American father stereotype clashing with that worked really well. I don't know. Uh, again, of course, this isn't a sharp, witty, tight comedy. It didn't do this type of thing in many areas, but there are there are sparks of excellence <laughs> amongst amongst
1: it. <laughs> I just think that it really is, and we keep falling back on this point, but it really is weird that somebody thought, yes, one of the best five films of the entire year.
0: <laughs> is this Yes: <laughs> Yeah, but then again, like, is the Sand Pebbles? Really?
1: One of the- Oh my God, Okay. Wow. You're taking it there already. We will get to that later. That.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then the sort of big thing, third act tension um, is when uh, the Russians and the Americans sort of meet at the harbor and the Russians threaten them that they, they're like about to shoot them or something. We don't, again, vague. You don't really know. And right about at the moment where where after they argue for a while, two, <laughs> this is so weird, a, a little boy climbs up the church somehow, he gets to the top of the church on the staple, and he slips and falls, but his pants catch on like a hook, and he's hanging about 150, 100 feet into the air. Um, And this stops all the tension between the Russians and the Americans. And they all go to see if they they can help him. And then a few of them, a few of the Russians help to sort of rescue the child. He's safe. And then everyone is friends. The Russians leave. Takes them a while to leave takes them a really long time. It's like about 20 minutes of just seeing Russians leave the island while the Americans say goodbye. Um, and the submarine becomes free. And then the film ends, this is where the title comes from, where this, this guy who's just like unaware of what's going on, who's been throughout the movie spurts of him trying to get on his horse. He gets on his horse and he starts shouting, the Russians are coming. and And then the film ends. So what did you think of this third act?
1: Again, like you, I thought it was way too protracted and drawn out. And then I guess the point is, hey, we can unite over these common concerns. Our concern for the well-being of this child and whether he survives or not can allow us to come together on this one issue. But I still don't think that the movie really has that much to say about the conflicts between capitalism and communism and it doesn't really offer any concrete explanation of how the gap between those two ideologies could be bridged or how they could work together in tandem and so it just ends up seeming like this very basic well, if you just put aside the mass executions in the Soviet Union and ignore the fact that the United States was involved in a whole lot of dodgy uh, coups in South America and was doing all sorts of awful stuff in the 1960s, then everything's fine. (laughs) And you think, "Hmm, do I agree with this? Yeah. No, I, I think it actually...
0: Here's the thing, obviously the resolution is very easy. It doesn't challenge anything. I don't know if the film wants to really get into the capitalism communism argument. I don't think it wants to go very deep into the conflict, which I'm okay with because you have this scene where the Russians save the boy, everyone's fine. They all get together. There are even like certain comments made like where people say, we should just get along. And honestly, it's dumb it's not striking it's very on the nose but it's it's very entertaining to watch because it's so obvious in this in this peace and harmony always prevails type of way that had me enjoying it so i don't disagree with what you're saying but i think i was able to poke fun at it in a way that you weren't able to where i was watching this thinking it was sort of ridiculous where you were watching it thinking it was stupid, (laughs) which it is, but.
1: (laughs) I think I am definitely setting standards for it that are way too high. I just think the message to be so glib and flippant at the end of this fairly long film is especially frustrating. Again, if it had been shorter, I might've been okay with the fact that the message is so simplistic
0: yeah but again i don't know if audiences would have been able to adapt to it as well so there is the argument that the filmmakers and the writers made it so simple and honestly dumb in order to get more people attracted to it so i can see why it was handled this way but i think you're arguing that like looking back on it watching it in 2022 it isn't as good as it could have been
1: Yes. But I even think you have films from around this period that do make a much better effort to consider the conflict from both sides. And I even think by 1966 standards, this one does seem to be playing it incredibly safe.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, that's it, it, it doesn't want to offend anyone. It's a very inoffensive mm-hmm. movie. It's like really inoffensive. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So again, and and, and if, it, if it had bolder moments, it could mm-hmm. have ended up as a controversial film. It definitely would not have been nominated yeah. for Best Picture, um, but it could have entered up nope. as a controversial movie and it would have been interesting to look back on it. But for now we have a movie that for me has some fun moments, um, a performance I like from Alan Orkin, Uh, Something else that I want to say is that the island that they vacation on, it's not like drop-dead gorgeous or anything, but it looks like like, a fun, sweet vacationing summer spot, so I like that, Um, and I like the concept of it, Uh, but overall I I think it it sort of lacks, uh, it lacks enough tension, it it lacks areas of self-awareness, it lacks areas where it could be more over-the-top and ridiculous, Uh, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think it's a product of its time.
1: Yes, I would tend to agree with you. And unlike a lot of the classic films from the 60s, it really doesn't stand the test of time.
0: No, no. (laughs) What do you think of the final line, though? Dumb.
1: (laughs) I was not... a ban of it I just think something more could have been said there but again they were trying to avoid offending anybody so
0: yeah Yeah. and it makes for a title that honestly could have attracted audiences more
1: Hmm. because it's
0: like a comical silly little title
1: (laughs) yes and especially only a few years after the, the threat of the pig's invasion I get why you wouldn't have wanted to have created something that did seem like a very serious thriller about the Soviets literally invading the United States (laughs) yeah (laughs) no
0: just Hmm. I'm trying to think of like one last thing I can say about this I think that it just should have been 95 minutes. Yes. Oh, oh, what do you think of Eva Marie Saint's performance? I know she doesn't get that much to do, but did you enjoy getting to see her?
1: So her career is frustrating because I think she's a great actress. And obviously she's fantastic in On the Waterfront. Yes. That was her big breakthrough performance and she wins Best Supporting Actress for it. But I believe she didn't make that many films because she had children in the late 50s and early 60s and so took a break from making movies. And you get North by Northwest, of course. But then after that, she's in Exodus, the racist Paul Newman movie, which Mm. is awful. And then in this, she barely gets anything to do. She looks gorgeous. She does.
0: She looks really good.
1: (laughs) You just kind of want more out of her. You go, this is a best supporting actress caliber performer. Shouldn't she be doing a bit more?
0: I honestly feel like if she had 10, 15 more minutes of screen time, she could have been more of a contender for best supporting actress. But yeah, I wanted more. I wanted more of her.
1: (laughs) Mm. Yeah, me too. I think she's a really fine performer but you wouldn't necessarily know it from some of the projects that she selected
0: yeah but we we have on the waterfront (laughs) thankfully
1: yes fortunately
0: yeah do you want to get into the oscars
1: oh yes definitely what a wild year yeah
0: our first category is best oh okay well this is going to be an obvious question before we get into this Outside of the competition, why do you think this movie didn't end up winning anything?
1: I just think that it might have been even too light, even though we think that was the reason it got nominated in the first place. It does seem like this trifle. It's not particularly technically accomplished. I couldn't see it winning score or cinematography or anything The Ellen Arkin performance is very broad, but that's obviously going to lose to the very serious performance in an autobiographical role. And I just don't think that any individual aspect of it stands out enough to earn proper consideration. Even a man and a woman, which didn't make it into the best picture category, has that beautiful cinematography and it has this very swoony, romantic dialogue that the voters seemingly loved.
0: I agree. I think it's something that they enjoyed enough to put in, say this is one of the movies I, I had the most fun with this year. I'm gonna put it in major categories, but it's not the best, best movie of the year. Like no one, no one probably thought this was their favorite movie of the year, but it was always one of their favorites. So you can't really assume that it came close to winning any of these categories. But the fact that it was nominated just shows that they wanted to have a little fun, but in the end, didn't want something that wasn't serious or um, more Oscar caliber to be winning big awards.
1: Yes. And again, a seasons is prime Oscar bait. Such Oscar bait. They were fishes. Fishes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's easy to see why that triumphed in all of these categories. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult to see something like the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming, muscling its way into a victory. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Our first category is Best Editing, where it was nominated alongside Fantastic Voyage, The Sand Pebbles, Who's afraid of Virginia Wolf? And the winner was Grand Prix. I haven't seen Grand Prix. Um, I didn't want to watch a three-hour race car movie from the 60s. Not gonna lie. Didn't didn't want to do that. Put on you. I wanted I wanted to watch Succession instead. So I did that. And it was, it was, it was great. <laughs> so yeah, but I can assume that it's like well edited. It is a three-hour race car movie, and they tend to like that. So would you give The Russians Are Coming the win in the category?
1: No, it's way <laughs> too long. It yeah. could have been edited down.
0: Yep. What would you give the win to? We we don't have many options here.
1: No, we don't. I think that's the issue. And if it's possible, the editing in the sand pebbles is even worse. So it is. What would I go with?
0: I'd just go with Virginia Wolf.
1: <laughs> yes, it's Virginia Wolf.
0: Yeah. Maybe Grand Prix did deserve it though. I'll probably never watch it. Maybe. But...
1: I didn't watch it either. I don't think I'll ever see it because it yeah. sounds boring. So boring. But...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, now on to categories that I care about. Best adapted <laughs> screenplay. It was nominated alongside Alfie, The Professionals, Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, and the winner was A Man for All Seasons, obviously. So what would you give the win to?
1: So I think this is yet another one where, even though I'm not wild about this movie, I would go with Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yes. And I think for me, this is a sign of how bad this year was that this film that I don't really like takes home most of the awards for me where I'm just sort of mixed on it and there are things about it that I really dislike but they just nominated such dull films in so many Mm. categories so I'm left with no other choice
0: yeah I don't like that A Man for All Seasons won this but like It makes sense because it 's the best picture winner, and it 's a based on a play and it 's historical uh, but who 's afraid of Virginia wolf has some of like i know you 're mixed on it and and you still give it the win because it 's such a bad lineup, but I think this is a bad lineup, and this is like the saving grace. I love who 's afraid of Virginia Wolf so much. I think there are lines of dialogue in it that are iconic that everyone still quotes it is just rapid fire theatrical dialogue that is so entertaining. And it is one of my favorites of the 60s. I I just love the movie so much. So that is an easy walk in the park, cruise to a win for me in this category. Um, As for the rest, the professionals, uh, who cares? A Man for All Season, who cares? Alfie, I'm interested to talk about that one on this podcast when, when the day comes, but I'm mixed on it. And then... The Russians are coming, you know my thoughts. So who's afraid of Virginia Woolf is my only choice here, but it would win in most years. So the fact that for me, this isn't a great lineup does not take away from uh, my 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 strong feelings about the script for Virginia Woolf.
1: Hmm.
0: It is my favorite, if, if it won this, it would be my favorite adapted screenplay winner of the 60s, easily. Whoa.
1: Big. Yeah. yeah. Well, they did give it to Tom Jones in the same decade. So <laughs> the competition, yeah. the competition
0: is not very strong. And they gave it to uh well we're not huge fans of Dr. Zhivago, but no other people no. are. <laughs>
1: oh my god. <laughs> oh god. Cat Baloo, you got a nomination. <laughs> no. Why? So funny. Oh, God.
0: Cat Blue was trash.
1: It is. Poor Jane Fonda. God, that whole period of her career.
0: Thank God for they shoot horses, don't they?
1: Yes. Yeah. Jesus.
0: Yeah. But I think A Man for All Seasons won this easily.
1: Hmm. I assume. Yeah. yeah. Back to back wins, Robert Bolt.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, do you want to do actor or picture first? Do the same. Do the same.
1: Actor, I guess.
0: Yeah. So alongside Alan Arkin, you have Richard Burton for Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf, Michael Caine for Alfie, Steve McQueen for The Sand Pebbles, and your winner was obviously Paul Schofield in A Man for All Seasons. So would you give Alan Arkin the win?
1: I wouldn't. I think I rank him around the the middle of this category. I think his performance is the standout from his film. I think he really is giving it his all. But this is not Ellen Arkin at his best. And I think his competition is strong enough to warrant him being pushed down the lineup. And you have someone like Michael Caine, who just seems so much more comfortable in his role, and really seems to have an understanding of the themes of the script that he's working with. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, okay, how would I how would I do this? So I'm gonna just do my rank and speak a little bit about each performance. Uh, my last is Steve McQueen. Oh
1: my I don't, gosh. I don't, I don't really
0: think I need to explain that. That's just no, no, and then. <laughs> I don't know. The rest are very... The next three are very similar, but I guess fourth, Paul Schofield, just because I don't
1: care. He's so hot, but not good in that. <laughs> yeah,
0: not good enough. Third, Michael Caine. Hans- Michael Kane is very, as you said, he's very confident playing that character, which a little concerning. But anyways, I think I think he's good <laughs> in it. I think he brings enough charm to to leave the viewer in an an interesting state where they're watching this person who has obviously some not admirable qualities but he plays it very comfortably with a sense of charm um so I think he's okay and then Alan Arkin's my runner-up as I said he's like easily like my favorite character in this movie I think he has lines that made me laugh it's definitely a, a caricature no no layers to be found here but I enjoyed his performance. I think I think he does what he what he needs to do. And then, of course, Richard Burton is my winner, far and away my winner. He is so good and who's a fan of Virginia Wolf. I don't think he's he's on the level of Liz Taylor for me, but this is still such a great character. And he plays it with so much passion. And it it's just this ensemble is fantastic. And he is, he holds his own. So easily my choice here, similar to adapted screenplay, it's I'm not I'm not too passionate about any of these, except the one that I would give the win to, and I would give it to him in a cakewalk.
1: Mm. Well, I have Kane winning. I think it's one of his better early performances, and I'm not really a Michael Kane person. As a movie star, I dislike his shtick, but mm. I think it's a really good self-aware performance and i think the ugliest sides of his character's personality really come through in his performance in a way that works hmm. i don't know i just it's not bad to me it's just like
0: don't care too much <laughs> okay. yeah mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah do you do you just think do you, do you not like Richard Burton much in, in Virginia Woolf? Uh,
1: I think he's fine. He's okay. Yeah. I, like much of the performance in that film, he doesn't leave much of an impact on me. I think there's a lot of overacting going on. Mm. Not a whole lot of subtlety to go around. But... Well,
0: I don't know <laughs> if they were aiming for that.
1: <laughs> no, I don't think so.
0: Yeah. But Steve McQueen is just I'm glad we agree that he's just oh. so <laughs> obviously <laughs> terrible trash. Uh, best picture. It's the same. So alongside yeah. the Russians are coming Alfie, the same pebbles, Virginia Wolf, and a man for all seasons one. So what are your, what are your thoughts here?
1: Just a very dull best picture lineup. Even the inclusion of a man and a woman where neither of us think that it's a masterpiece, but at least it would have been them displaying a willingness to open up to a foreign language film and mm. to nominate something that isn't so dude-centric. I know you have Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with these two complex female characters, but The Sand Pebbles is so bro-y, just unbearably <laughs> so. And so I would have liked a French romantic drama about a beautiful, glamorous woman to Mm. be in there.
0: Yeah. Uh, I assume you give Alfie the win based on your thoughts about that character.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. I I thought it was the most sophisticated of all of the films in terms of its exploration of its themes.
0: Ah. Well, I... am no soccer give the win to virginia wolf wow <laughs> I, all, all four categories i gave to, to that the russians are coming was on me for i gave to virginia wolf and i would give it all four acting oscars so this is just like virginia wolf sweep for me this is like virginia wolf land because it's a terrible year at the oscars and i don't really see why i shouldn't do that but yeah the sand bevels was torturous it is it's dated it's boring it is annoying its broy. It is bro-y. It doesn't critique the masculinity in any way. It doesn't attempt to. It doesn't really do anything for me. <sighs> Something that's interesting about this movie is that Richard, Richard Ottenborough won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor. I know that doesn't really mean anything, but he won it two years in a row for the Sand Pebbles and for Dr. Doolittle. And he wasn't, he didn't end up getting nominated for the Oscar in the end for either of them. And I don't really get why he was nominated or won for either in the first place. He doesn't really, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. But again, I don't really get anything about the Sand Pebbles and why people liked it. So.
1: Well, from what <laughs> I read at the time, it was seen as a commentary on the United States' involvement in the Vietnam War. And it was seen as this searing look at the way that American soldiers try to interfere in the lives of people who are just trying to do their own thing. And I think watching it today, maybe because well, the US is still involved in overseas conflicts that they probably shouldn't be involved in, (laughs) but... Because we're less close to that conflict, it becomes more difficult to see it as a parable or an allegory. And when it does include moments of reflection on the foreign policy of the United States, it seems really ham-fisted and obvious.
0: It's also so long.
1: Oh, it is God, yes. (laughs) And Paul Candisbergen is there to do nothing. No. Yeah.
0: Yeah, who's a Fridge of Virginia Wolf's winner? And the Russians are coming as my runner up. I, You heard what I think about it. I don't think it's a great movie. I don't even think it's like a good movie. But it just goes <laughs> to show how You're bad so this bad. lineup is. <laughs> mm. yeah. A Man and a Woman would be my runner up if it was nominated.
1: I might even have it first if it were to be nominated. And mm. again, I think it's a very flawed film it's not very deep and I get why fans of real art house cinema are annoyed by the fact that this movie that basically just uses a couple of fancy camera tricks was treated like it was blow up or something far more experimental Mm. yeah and I also think that
0: there, I mean it's clear that there were budgetary restrictions, and that's why certain scenes were filmed in black and white. Um, mm-hmm. and I just and people think, well, wow, that's like such a cool artistic choice. But it came off to me as it just <laughs> didn't <doesn't> work. <laughs> uh and I don't know, I'm I'm really surprised that Anuke Me was the front runner because she isn't given that much to do. She's not bad, she's convincing, she has very like expressive, gorgeous eyes and a very expressive face that tells us a lot without saying much dialogue I don't think it's bad performance but it's surprising to me that that's the front runner when you have such a big performance that ended up winning that like if you tell someone now who isn't very much into the Oscars that Elizabeth Taylor winning for Virginia Woolf wasn't necessarily expected they would be stunned I was stunned when I first heard that so interesting, interesting dynamic there.
1: Mm. But I would also say with awards back then, it was more crazy and unpredictable than yep. it is now. And only I wish it was precurs- like that now. Yeah, I wish it was, yes. Where you go, oh, we're going to Oscar night and this one actress won three of the precursors, but that might mean nothing. And I don't think you get that today. You get the Olivia Colman, win every now and then but it's very rare
0: it is yeah well wish i wish i could have lived in the 70s to experience some of those stunning upsets (laughs) i always record my reactions and when nobody showed up it's like i wish like i always record my reactions and i feel like they would be like even bigger back then so (laughs) yeah but any any final thoughts neither of us would give it any wins it is my runner-up in in probably everything just because it's like I think it's okay whereas everything else is like terrible so yeah but neither of us give it anything
1: I think you can just point to this as one of the worst years in Academy history, and the '60s for me, when I was going through and trying to watch all of the Best Picture nominees, mm. were really a slog to get through. Yeah, and I watched most of the good movies like Bonnie and Clyde first, and then I was <laughs> left with Doctor Dolittle to watch. <laughs> and there are just so many films like that where you go- you think, couldn't this nomination spot? have been filled with this really exciting classic that we look back on as a groundbreaking film. And I think, as you pointed out, it is a reminder of the fact that the reception of most of these films at the time is very, very different to what Mm. it's like today.
0: Yep. I'm at that stage now where I've seen all the ones I love. I still have a few that I'm looking forward to like Z, which looks fantastic. Uh, and Butch Cassidy that I surprisingly haven't seen, but I also have so many left. I have Cleopatra, I have Mutiny on the Bounty, I have The Sundowners, The Longest Day, Ugh. America, America. I have so many that are long and just look so uninteresting. So I, not not that many left, but I'm, I know I'm gonna watch Z first. And then I'm going to be stuck with all of these films that are long and boring.
1: And America, America opens with a man threatening to beat up his grandmother if she <laughs> won't give him money. What? So, And oh, he's yeah. your protagonist.
0: Oh, great.
1: <laughs> so have fun with that one. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, any, any final comments on the Russians are coming? No, I think we have thoroughly gone through all of the reasons why yeah. it is fairly forgettable. So I guess this was not the the conflict laden episode that we were expecting it to be. But yeah. still, I think you did like it more than I did. Yeah, that usually happens.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> to be fair. Yes. No, I think though no, I w because I, I realized after we agreed to choose it. That I don't feel really strongly about it. I remember watching, mm. it. I had a I had a great time. But there it, it was like if you if I had if I had watched it for the first time and then went on to discuss this and you make those points critiquing it, I would have just been like, Yeah, that's fair. Which, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, that would have been very boring.
1: Probably, yeah. Yeah.
0: But obviously, not giving it anything virginia wolf sweep hashtag virginia wolf sweep. <laughs> yeah well oh my god Zid-
1: imagine if if twitter had existed at the time oh my god how furious the virginia wolf people would have been
0: <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine what the russians are coming stands would have been like there would have been very few of them i assume <laughs> do you think there would have been the sand pebbles Oh my god
1: yes no, the, the, the Dark Knight film bros would have been behind it
0: <laughs> yeah and, every, and they would have been like a sand pebbles Steve McQueen would have been one of the best oh no. best actor winners ever
1: no they would have been talking about how, how how could they have not nominated Steve McQueen yet he's one of our best actors <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's not even hot no he's not he has a tiny mouth that's a problem
0: (laughs) yeah and his voice is kind of annoying like there's something about his voice that rubs me the wrong way
1: (laughs) me too I I don't get it but he was a big deal so clearly there's something I'm not seeing
0: Paul Newman is superior
1: oh definitely (laughs) yeah
0: well, Zita, where can people find you?
1: So I'm on Twitter at Zita underscore short, and I also host the 300 Passions podcast, which Sam has appeared on several times. And I guess this is giving away the lead. But next month, I'll be releasing our episode on The Owl and the Pussycat, a fun George Siegel, Barbara. Streisand romantic comedy I almost said Stanwick, but stopped at <laughs> the last second and yeah I think that should be fun so thank you yes. so much for having me on today
0: yeah thank you for joining me again uh, be you guys should be ready to see a lot more of Zita on this podcast uh hopefully okay <laughs> <laughs> if, if, she, if she wants and yes I yeah definitely. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Sam the Parasite, Letterboxd, Sam Meltzer. Please review and rate this podcast on whatever podcast service you use. And thank you all for listening.